my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. G'day friends, it's Pastor Will here, pastor of the Paravista and Gawler Adventist Churches here in Adelaide. Thank you for joining us in our show today. Wherever you're tuning in from, whether it's here in Adelaide regionally or across the country, we want to thank you for joining in of this next hour. We have a wonderful program that we have in line for you today, but before I do that, I'd like to introduce my co-host into this studio, my good friend, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson. Pastor Brenton, good to have you in the show today. Thanks, Will. Great to be here. Well, Pastor Brenton, uh, I know a few things have changed uh, since the holiday a Christmas lot of break. Gone under the bridge, man. <laughs> a lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> well, I cannot call you retired, <laughs> no, Pastor you, Brenton. No, you can't <laughs> because the powers to be. Well, God is the power to be. Let's just get that out front. But um, so I understand that uh, you've been uh, you'll be called to pastor two churches here in Adelaide. I'm pastoring one church, Adelaide City Church, okay, one church. which is right in the centre of the city. Uh, there's another church that I think thinks I'm their pastor, but I'm not. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, I'm back in action again this year, full time, and uh, looking forward to it. And how long would this be now, like beginning of 2024, that you have been in pastoral ministry? Uh, I know, this, I know this, it's quite a long this time. Would be, this would be year 15. 15 years, yeah, wow. Yeah. But you want to remember I came to pastoral ministry when I wasn't 21 or 22. Right. <laughs> Praise God. Well, what, yeah. well we thank you, uh, Pastor Brennan, for... Uh, well, well, look, uh, you get excited about sharing the Word of God with people regardless of which part of the country you're in. Yeah. And uh, if you don't get excited about it, well, you shouldn't be in ministry. Amen to that. <laughs> so. Amen. <laughs> well, Pastor Brandon, we have a wonderful topic uh, for our listeners today here on Faith FM Drive Time. Uh, we want to introduce our theme. Our theme that we will be kickstarting today and for the rest of the week with our team, if God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't God fix our world? It's a very interesting yeah, topic. It is an interesting one. And so uh, that's the overall theme that uh, you and I, Pastor Brendan, and our team will be looking at. If God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't he fix our world? But the, the question that you and I are going to be looking at specifically in today's program is, how did a perfect creation get so ugly? Yeah. And that is uh, quite the question that um, I guess as pastors and as Christians that often uh, Christians get asked. You know, if there is, if um, there is a powerful, loving God, why doesn't He, you know, fix our world? And that's what we're looking at. But we're going to be kickstarting the program today and for the rest of the week with the question, or attempting to answer the question: How did a perfect creation get so ugly? And so I hope for our listeners out there. Nothing like dealing with the easy ones first. Yeah, we were having then a bit of a... And then we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope oh, you can boy. stay tuned in this next hour as we uh, seek to try to unpack um, this question. Hey, why don't you do us a favor? For those who are long-time listeners, you know that we give out our number each yes. and every show. So, yes. hey, why don't you... Um, here's our number, and this will be the number for our book offer that we'll promote in our show today. 04888. Eight zero eight double one. Why don't you put that in your phone or write it down? Have it handy somewhere next year because uh, you'll need it uh, as we uh, promote our book offer. And by the way, uh, we would love to hear from you wherever you're yes. tuning in from. Yes. Obviously, if you're not driving, but if you're somewhere in the kitchen at home or listening to this, um, hey, why don't you? Um, we'd love to hear uh, from you. Why don't you text us a question as Pastor Brennan is, uh, and I will be unpacking this question today. So zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. 
So um, before we get into our topic today, we uh, always start with a World Watch segment, which is a little bit of uh, where we share articles, things that uh, we see in the current uh, cultural space in our world today. And so, Pastor Brendan, the question or the article I'd like us, uh, I'd like to share with our listeners today is the article entitled, You Asked, Do Religious People Live Longer? Now, this is uh, an article from Time Magazine, um, and I'd just like to read it from the article. The author is Jamie Dushami, and uh, the title is You Ask Do Religious People Live Longer? You know, I thought I'd just choose this topic, uh, this article about praying is because, you know, in a few days' time, uh, in a week or so, there's, you know, our our church here in our faith community here in Adelaide will be doing like a 10 days of prayer, Pastor they Brendan. And we know our, our good friend, our fellow colleague uh, who serves alongside us, uh, Lindy Sparing, who heads our prayer ministries uh, ministries here in South Australia. I know she's passionate about prayer and, um, you know, encouraging all of uh, the Adventist churches to, yeah, to spend some time praying. And so I thought this was an article that kind of, yeah, kind of segues into the power of prayer. So it here does. we go. It like does. to read it. And uh, Pastor Brennan, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well yeah. on the, the this article as well. And, and you as well listening in today, love to hear from you if you'd like to text in a question or a comment. So here we go. Thank the you. title is, You Asked, Do Religious People Live Longer? If a long life is what you're after, going to church may be the answer to your prayers. And so it goes on to say here, a number of studies have shown associations between attending religious services and living a long time. One of the most comprehensive published in the JAMA, which is a journal of American Medical Association, Internal Medicine in 2016, found that women who went to any kind of religious service more than once a week had a 33% lower chance than their secular peers of dying during the 16-year study follow-up period. Very interesting. Another study published last year or published in PLOS1. PLOS1 is a peer-reviewed open access mega journal published by the Public Library of Science since 2006, just to let you know, or PLOS1. Well, anyway, they found that regular service attendance was linked to reductions in the body stress responses and even in mortality. So much so that worshippers were 55% less likely to die during the up to 18-year follow-up period than people who didn't frequent the temple, church, or mosque. That's very significant. Yeah, very significant. Mm -hmm. You don't have to become a nun to get these health benefits, however. The simple act of congregating with a like-minded community might deserve much of the credit. Tyler Vanderweel, one of the authors of the JAMA study, and a professor of epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan (laughs) School of Public Health, says factors related to church going, like having a network of social support, an optimistic attitude, better self-control, and a sense of purpose in life may account for the long-life benefits seen in his study and others. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it's also the values drawn from religious tradition, such as, quote, respect, compassion, gratitude, charity, humility, harmony, meditation, and preservation of health. Yes. End of quote. That seem to predict longevity, not the dogma preached at the altar, says Howard Friedman, professor of psychology at the University of California, Riverside. Fostering these qualities may even affect rates of chronic disease, 
says Marino Bruce, co-author of the PLOS1 study and a research associate professor of medicine. He says, quote, having that sense that you're not in the world alone, that you're part of a power larger than oneself, can give one confidence to deal with the issues of life, Bruce says. Yes. He continues on saying, quote, biologically, if that reduces stress, then that means you're less likely to have high blood pressure or diabetes or things that can increase mortality, end of quote. But what if organized religion isn't your style? Can solo prayer or even a more abstract sense of faith or spirituality provide the same payoff? It's difficult to say with certainty because going to church is easier to measure than the intimate individual way a person might practice religion. Of course. And the research on praying has been mixed. Some studies have found that prayer can improve disease outcomes and prolong survival, while others have been less conclusive. One 2006 study published in the American Heart Journal even found that people who knew they were being prayed for before undergoing heart surgery were more likely to experience complications than people who didn't know whether they were in others' prayers. I but, find that hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> but prayer has been shown to be powerful in at least one way. Yeah. It triggers the relaxation response, a state of mind-body rest that has been shown to decrease stress, heart rate, and blood pressure alleviate chronic disease symptoms, and even change gene expression. This state is typically linked to activities like meditation, and research suggests it can also be found through praying. Given that uncertainty and the accumulating evidence supporting communal religious participation, Van der Weel says solitary practitioners might want to consider congregating every once in a while. Yes. And the last quote he says, quote, might you be missing out on something, the power of religion and spirituality by not participating communally? Van der Weel says, that's not saying you should have religious beliefs a little longer. That's saying you already hold these beliefs. Maybe it would be worthwhile to consider communal participation, Mm. end of quote. So, Pastor Brennan, a very interesting article on this idea that – that your prayer life, uh, being part of a faith community, can actually um, increase the longevity in your life. What are your thoughts? Let me uh, refer to an example. I need to be a little bit careful because the people in question may be listening. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just talk in very general terms. Uh, r- last year, we had some uh, folk from one of our previous churches who came and stayed with us because the husband was having um, surgery, right? And uh, the surgery he was having was he was he was suffering from hydatids. I don't know whether you know what hydatids no. are. Internal worms, and it can get really really bad. And so he had been going to doctors at his place of residence for a while. And eventually they came to Adelaide and we allowed them to stay with us in our house in Adelaide. And I took his wife down to to visit with him. Now, as the minister in this church, he had been attending church most weeks and never given his heart to the Lord in the sense of stepping out and being baptised or um, or anything like that. I, I believe that he believed what, what the Bible taught and that sort of thing. But when it came to the time that he was to have the surgery, I took him down to the centre where the surgery was to be conducted. And, well, it showed you some idea of 
the ramping crisis that we're going through here in South right. Australia. We admitted him and then uh, just as we were leaving, five minutes later, we got a call saying, come and get him. We need the bed. We've got a bedding crisis. So uh, can you come and get him because his operation isn't due until tomorrow? Obviously, we'd had prayer with the family. Yeah. And uh, we had prayer on the day that he, he went there. And... The second time when he went in the day that he was due to have surgery, the surgery actually took about twice as long as what they had told him. Yeah. They had told him that the surgery would take approximately five hours and the surgery ended up taking, I believe, about 10 hours. Now, that is a long time to be in surgery. Yeah. And um, as a result of all of that, I remember going to visit him a day or so after the surgery, and uh, he indicated to me that he had been praying. So uh, here is a person, to the best of my knowledge, who, well, let's put it this way, he'd, he, he, he's not a person who would feel comfortable praying in church in front of other people and that sort of thing. I realise that when people are in crisis situations, often they do pray, and you yeah. don't know. The only person who knows is God. But... Um, I, I found it interesting that um, he actually prayed in the in the ward. He said, after I prayed for him, I'd like to pray. And so he prayed, and there's four or five other guys in the ward <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> so, wow, okay. So, um, and I also reflect on a case of somebody who years ago had a head-on collision. I went to visit them in hospital, and uh, he said to me, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in God and all that stuff yeah and i said well part as part of my work as a hospital chaplain i always offer to have prayer with a person he said uh, i don't believe all that stuff but he said this is what he said will and you'll laugh he said if it makes you feel better you can pray <laughs> i said it won't make me feel better i pray all the time so it's not going to make me feel better <laughs> Um, right. It's not for my benefit. Yeah. I'm just asking, would you like me to have prayer with you? And he said, oh, I'm denied about it and said, mm, all right, if you, if you want to do it. So I did it. And uh, after I finished, it was only a, only a short prayer. After I did it, I just thanked the Lord for getting him through this head-on collision. Because usually if you have a head-on collision, you're doing 110 kilometres an hour. Yeah. You're not around to talk about it afterwards. Yeah. And uh, he was crying. And tears coming down his cheeks. And after three weeks of visits, I went the last time to see him and I said, you know, calling him by name, I don't know whether we'll ever see one another again on this earth. And um, he looks at me. I said, you're going back to Christchurch in New Zealand, which is your home, and I'm here in Adelaide. I said, uh, you know what I'm going to ask you, don't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, and I said, uh, and I know what your response will be if it makes you feel better. I said it's not going to make me feel better. <laughs> so anyway, I said I'm going to pray for you. And the last time I have seen him, and this happened well, if I look go through my notes, would have happened about 2015. So it's about nine years ago. And the end result of all of that was when I left. He's sitting up in bed and the tears are streaming down his face and all these other guys in the water looking at him. Oh, dear. <laughs> so um, does, power, uh, does prayer have power? The answer to that is yes, it does. Yeah. Can it move people? Yes, it can even move people who claim they don't believe in God. As you know, there's a saying, and you've probably heard it somewhere, 
there are no atheists in foxholes. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing, Pastor Brennan, from your um, just some of your experience there. In oh, it's just a praying with people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so we hope you enjoyed that article, and um, yeah, I think the general tenor of the article was that you know, if, particularly within the uh, Christian framework, when you're in a community of believers, you. Mm-hmm. you you're worshiping together. You're praying together. You're getting to do life with your fellow uh, church members, friends, yes. and family. That it obviously it impacts on you socially. And, oh, it and, does. It and, does. And um, yeah, just build you up. Uh, I'm reminded of that text in the book of Hebrews where you know the Bible says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We Hebrews. Are, we are meant yeah. to book of Hebrews to continue to you know practice being the the body of Christ and. And not only it helps us spiritually, but as the article suggested, praying and being part of a community um, helps us uh, physically, emotionally. And yeah. uh, I, just, I wonder whether whether one of the physiological effects of it that how and then again, how do you determine it? Would be I I find personally that if I spend a significant amount of time with the Lord in prayer, because prayer is a two way street, and I don't think your article picked that up. Right. Um, prayer is not just telling God everything you want. I mean, yeah. it'd be like uh, a child telling a parent everything that he or she yeah. wants when the parent full well knows everything that he or she yeah. wants. Or uh, there's a difference between your wants and your needs. But if if you if you're telling God what's on your heart, you've also got to spend time listening. Now, yeah. you don't get an audible voice booming in your ear, Brenton, I think you should do such and such and such and such. But you know what? The Bible talks about the still small voice. Yeah. You have to sit. Take yeah, a it's a two-way street, yeah. And in doing that, your blood pressure is going to go down. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you'll get a peace that yeah. you didn't have. Amen. And it's amazing. In my time as a hospital chaplain, the number of people who said to me, Whilst I didn't get better, I felt so much better. I had a peace in my life that I'd never had before yep. you prayed. But after you prayed, I just felt a peace that I'd never had before. Wow. So I think that's, that's something that. worth thinking yeah, about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoyed our article there for our World Watch segment dealing with um, a connection between our religious uh, experience and longevity in our lives, and I hope you enjoy that article. Um, we're going to offer our free book offer at this part of our program which is in line with the article and the our free book offer for today and that we'll be promoting for the rest of the week is entitled finding calm in the chaos of life by dr julian melgoza should be a good book yeah so a bit of a blurb on the book here it's a growing body of scientific evidence that indicates that faith prayer hope forgiveness and trust are beneficial to our physical and emotional health. And in the book there, Dr. Julian Melgoza uses biblical examples and personal illustrations to demonstrate just how essential it is that we partner with Christ in dealing with the all too human experiences of depression, anger, guilt, and stress. Yeah. Hey, if you'd like a free copy of Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life, or hey, if you know someone, a friend yes. that is maybe going through some of these things, um, we'd love to give this to you as a free resource. All you need to do is text the code SA201. That's the code that you need to text to our number here in the studio. So the code is SA201. You need to text that to the number 04888. 
8081 and we'll get your details and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. So the code SA201 to the number 04888-80811 and we'll get your details and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. Please don't go away. We're going to some music. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM, Drive Time, BQ&A. Fellowship, what a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms What a blessedness, what a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms Leaning, leaning Safe and secure from all along Chris Rice leaning on the everlasting arms. You listen to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with myself, Pastor Will, and my co-host, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson. Our theme for this week, if God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't he fix our world? That's our theme for this week. But tonight, uh, we are looking at the specific question, how did a perfect creation get so ugly? And so... Um, 
I've got my co-host in the studio, Pastor Brenton, who will be leading our conversation today. So I guess we're really doing the introduction to the rest of the week as our Faith FM team uh, look at this question, this theme from different angles. But why don't you start us off, Pastor Brenton, um, this this topic of how did a perfect creation get so ugly? I wonder how many people have asked that question. <laughs> Very interesting if we question. To take a survey. It's a pity we can't on air take a survey. How many people have asked the question? Why is this yeah. world in such a mess? Which is just another way of saying why is a perfect or how did a perfect creation get so ugly? It's interesting. Um, in my research, I found out that every day. Now, here's something interesting for us to think about. Every day. We lose 150 to 200 plant and animal species per day. Wow. I thought, this is interesting. And does it play into the narrative of evolution? Because if it plays into the narrative of evolution, is this weeding out the weaker species or are we simply losing, losing, losing? Yeah. Because if that's the case, evolution is not working. Right. If you believe in evolution. So. I, I thought about that. Look, what have we got in the world as a result of sin? And why is our creation so ugly? Now, while I was on holidays, I don't know what you were up to. You said you were doing a fair bit of travelling. But while I was on holidays, I started looking at YouTubes a bit more frequently. Now, it's pretty interesting when you look at a YouTube <laughs> where you've got a shark and a crocodile fighting. I mean, right. these, are, these are apex predators, uh, what they call apex predators. Um, you know, they're, they're around, they attack human beings, both, both of them and that sort of thing. And, the, and the, here you are, you have these, a fish and, and a crocodile, saltwater crocodile fighting. Yeah. And you have other animals that you would have thought, well, they respect one another because you know what? I'm as big as you are, so you attack me, I'll attack you. So there's a sort of a uneasy. <laughs> but then you actually see examples <laughs> of these animals attacking one another. Yeah. I mean, you expect animals like lions and tigers and uh, some of these predators to be attacking deer and antelopes and gazelles and, and that type of thing, but you don't expect this, this sort of thing. Our... Our planet is is really mixed up. The question I guess we got to ask is where did sin begin? How did it begin? Now, I think if we had a very simple answer as to how sin began, it would be a lot easier to explain. But because it's unexplainable, it all you can go by really well is what the Bible talks about right because you can't really explain it in any other way for instance uh, in genesis 1 and verse 31 i'm just going to read it quickly it's the end of the creation week and our subject's not on creation specifically today but then god saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day so here's the point a lot of the philosophies in the world today teach that there's, um, you've heard of yin and yang, probably, and you've heard of people who believe that the force of evil and the force of good, they're counterbalancing forces. They're there. It's like a, a scale, you know, they balance one another out yeah. and that sort of thing. 
This text destroys that theory straight away because it says that whatever God made was very good. So he didn't make evil right. to counterbalance good. So evil must have come along after the creation, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, it must have come along at some point subsequent to the creation of the world because God is sitting back here and saying, everything I've made is very good. The rest of the week, the other six times, he uses the word good. And God saw that he, what he had made and it was good. Behold, God saw what was made and it was good. Right. But then he comes to the end of the week, done, finished, all, uh, all done. So if creation is perfect when God created it and it's now in the state and the chaos that it's in now, how did that come about? Right. Did it come about through an influence or did it come about through a person? And we believe that the Bible teaches that it came about through a person. And to understand what that is, I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. These are texts that uh, people probably know, but it's worth reading them. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? For how are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Five times in those three verses, you've got the word I, 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 I. Right. Now, I think we know that, but we could ask some simple questions. Where did sin begin? Sin began in heaven. It says so in the very first verse. It says, how are you fallen from heaven? Heaven, yeah. We're not talking about the atmospheric heaven. We're not talking about the sun, moon, and stars. We're talking about the place where God lives. Correct. That's where Satan was, or as he was then known, Lucifer. Right. He was up in heaven, and he's fallen from heaven, and this is almost like a lament. Now, you come from a culture that uh, probably expresses its sorrow more perhaps than a, a Anglo-Saxon <laughs> group. I did a funeral recently, an Aboriginal funeral. Now, they really know how to express their grief. And yeah. in a way, that's good because it gets it out of their system to Correct. agree. They come along and they're standing around the coffin and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're touching the dead person and all of this type of right. stuff. Um, this, this being wanted to be like God. But it doesn't tell you in those three verses or in the corresponding section in Ezekiel 28, verse 12 to 17, it doesn't actually. <laughs> Ezekiel gives you a little bit more of an insight into it was the beauty of this angel, Lucifer. Instead of attributing the beauty of his creation to God, he took it to himself. And he said, well, if they're all worshipping God, why can't they worship me? I know that's a very simplistic way of looking right. at it, but you can't come to any other conclusion because the number of times he uses the word I, 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 and then finishes up basically summarising by saying, I will be like the most high. Okay. And as a result of that, he's cast out of heaven, down to this earth. And when did this take place? 
it took place, I believe, before creation. So he came uh, came down. Well, he didn't come down to this earth, but um, he was kicked out of heaven. Then God created this earth and mankind in it, and then Satan came along, and we're about to have a look at um, what Satan did. But it seems from what we're reading that this creation that God did, it was perfect when he made it. However, because of sin, it's become totally distorted. It's not only distorted people's thinking, it seems to have also had an effect on, shall we say, the natural environment, the plant environment, and uh, the animals. Everything that God created has been affected by sin. Maybe animals in the past that got on peaceably, as a result of sin, they don't get on peaceably yeah. anymore. They eat one another now. <laughs> you know, we know the kids get into dinosaurs. I've got a grandson who's absolutely um, into dinosaurs big time. <laughs> you probably know a few uh, kids along those right, lines. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they're really into this yeah. dinosaur stuff and that sort of thing. And the ones that they really like are Tyrannosaurus Rex and some of these guys with the great big teeth and the big claws and that sort of thing, uh, meat eaters probably, and yet when you study the history of the fossils, some of the animals were not meat eaters. Right. They um, eat herbs and trees and plants and things like Correct. that. Correct, yep. So sin has turned things absolutely upside down. So t- just to kind of pause and just to summarise, what you're saying, Pastor Brandon, is when we're looking at the question, how did creation get so ugly, you're really uh, painting the picture that of really a broader, I guess, topic of this this sense of this origin of, of evil or mm. sin. We're going to look and you're at saying it how it began. Yeah. So you're saying it began with this uh, this being this angel that was yeah. created by God. Okay, okay, excellent. Keep going because I'm enjoying yeah. your conversation here. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll keep going. But when we turn back to chapter two of Genesis, we know that God created Adam and Eve. We've touched on that in previous programs, right? On here. Our program today is not on creation per se, but I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. This is what God said, and there's a reason for reading so this. So where are you up to? Genesis We're in three, Genesis eight. chapter okay, 2. Okay, Genesis 3. Genesis 2. two. Yep. two. We're getting into chapter 3. Okay. <laughs> Hold your horses. Yep. <laughs> We're getting there. Okay, in chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there's some interesting points. What are some of the interesting points in that for you, Will? Um, First of all, did he know which tree he was not to eat? Yeah. Did he know the consequences yes, or penalty? Absolutely. Okay, so there are two things. So God has identified the tree. It's not any tree. He said you can eat any tree of the garden. But he did say that there's one particular tree, which is in the middle of the garden, known as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit of it, you will surely die. Correct. (laughs) So Adam was quite clear on that. It's interesting that um, even though this command was made to Adam, as we know, God made Adam and Eve. So one would have to assume that Eve was also aware of it. Correct. So then you go to chapter 3, and this is where we're going to spend probably a significant amount of time on this. Uh, What I'll do, I think, for and 
feel free to make any comments as we go yep. along. Starting at verse 1, I'm really only going to have a look at probably the first seven and eight, maybe nine verses. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Now, if Satan was an angel in heaven and he was cast out of heaven by God, and God tells Adam and Eve, if you want to watch out because, you know, we've kicked this guy out of heaven and all the other angels, how would you expect, how, how would you or I expect Satan to come to you if he was going to tempt you? Wouldn't you expect him to come as an angel? Yeah, absolutely. But he doesn't. Yeah. What does he come as? He comes as this serpent. Uh, this serpent, this he snake. He uses the serpent as a medium. Correct. A talking snake? Hello? I've never come across any yeah. talking snakes. <laughs> we know the serpent um, in those days was not like what we see today. They actually flew through the air. They had wings and they had the appearance of burnished gold. And they, In other words, they were beautiful. So here's a beautiful creature that God has. Correct has made, and Eve, it appears, is somewhere where she shouldn't have been, and this creature starts talking to her. Notice what he says. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, the more you dig into this, the more interesting it becomes, Will, because this comment of the serpent is very interesting because in the very first or first verse or two of chapter three he's creating doubt. Did God really say, "Yeah, you shall not eat of any fruit of the tree, uh, of any tree of the garden"? It can be interpreted, and I didn't realise this till I did some further study. It can be interpreted either way. Has God really said you can't eat of all the trees of the garden, or? You cannot eat of any tree of the garden. The statement's ambiguous and it's intended to deceive. In other words, you can interpret either way. How did Eve understand it? She understood it, I think, more specifically the second way. You cannot eat of any tree of the garden. Because, we look at her response. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the tree, a fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we read those verses and we go, yeah, 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 we know all that. We've, you know, we've read that many, many times and we're, we're, we're all familiar with it. Hang on, let's, let's look at it a little bit deeper. Let's look at it in a bit more detail. <laughs> Notice what she does do and what she doesn't do. Okay. What she does do is she identifies the fact that God did say that they couldn't eat uh, the fruit of any tree, but she says the tree in the midst of the garden. She doesn't identify the tree. She doesn't call it, as God did, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'll read it again. (laughs) But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God did say. It's almost as though in her own mind she's starting to say to herself, well, what's the difference between that tree and all the other trees that are in the garden? Yeah. She doesn't say, God said that if we ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, this was what would happen. She says, no, 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 no. 
That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> he did say you shall not eat of it. And then it uses a term that my new King James Bible, which I'm using, has got. I'm not sure what you've got on yours. Most versions of the Bible use the term lest ye die. The lest bit is an interesting one because the Hebrew word for it is pen, P-E-N. Okay. Do you know what it means? It means that, hey, I've been told that if I do this, this is the penalty. But you know what? I'm a bit cynical. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that really what was prophesied would happen, will happen. So you can see the process that's starting to take place here. He's put doubt in her mind. And, and so she goes to it from there. And then comes the big lie. You shall not surely right. die. Now yeah. she's placed in a situation where she has to make a decision. Am I going to obey the talking serpent or am I going to obey God? That's where she's at. So. <clears throat> so is it suffice to say, Pastor Brennan, that up until this point, Creation hasn't gone ugly, as our question implies. It's I don't think so, Will. Yep. At this stage, I don't think so. so. Yeah. <laughs> what we're doing is we're having a discussion here, yeah. which she should never have had in the first sure. place, yep. with a talking snake. And uh, this talking snake is directing her attention to, well, I wonder if I did touch the fruit, whether I will really die. We're going to get to that a little bit in a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, Pastor Brandon, I need you to hold your thought there because we're, um, holding it. we're going to go to a quick break and uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. So um, to our listeners, I hope you're enjoying our conversation, talking about this this idea of creation and, uh, and looking at those first chapters of the book of Genesis, which is so insightful for our conversation today. Hey, we're going to promote our, our book offer just one more time in our program today. Um, the book that uh, we're promoting for today and the rest of the week, Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life by Dr. Julian Melgoza. If you grab a copy of this book, what Dr. Julian does is she seeks to unpack that there is a growing body of scientific evidence indicating that faith, prayer, hope, forgiveness, and trust, they are beneficial to our physical and emotional and I'd like to add spiritual health as well. And so if you'd like a free copy of Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life by Dr. Julian Melgoza, or if you'd like to give it to a friend, all you need to do is text the code SA201, SA201, to our number in the studio, 04888-80811. One more time, the code SA201 to our number, 04888-80811. We'll get your details and get that book out to you as soon as we can. Please don't go away. We've got uh, some music for you, and we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll
That was a rendition of It Is Well With My Soul by the group Anthem Lights. We hope you're enjoying our show here today on Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. We're kicking off the theme, If God Is All-Powerful and Loving, Why Doesn't He Fix Our World? Pastor Brendan and I have been looking at the question specifically tonight, how did a perfect creation get so ugly? So, Pastor Brendan, in the few remaining minutes we have, um, I know it's such a deep and uh, really important chapter we, to really... We need two sessions. We really do, but... Um, we do. How you, you left off before the break about this, um, you know, the mindset of Eve yes. and yes. kind of where she I, was. I think we're trying to understand yeah. where Eve is okay. and where she's coming from and where the devil through the serpent is leading. Sure. So when you go on a little bit further, he tells her a deliberate lie. He says, you will not surely die. The Hebrews suggests it's, you know, in the New Testament, God, uh, Jesus frequently used the term, verily, verily, I say Correct. unto you. Well, he's basically saying the same thing here. He's basically saying, verily, I'm telling you, you will not surely die if you eat the fruit. Right. So now she has to make a choice. And as we go on uh, quickly, he says this, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the King James Version, for those faithful ones who listen to our program, have actually got this wrong. Okay. the term used is Elohim, small e, <laughs> because some versions say you will be like gods, little e. Right. The correct translation is you will be like God, big G, big O, big D. Now, what was it that we read earlier on in our study? I will be like... Be like God, be God? like the mo- most high. I will high. be like the most high. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we are. Anyway, what, what has he done here? He's not only caused her to make a decision, he's also caused her to question her motive for obeying God. Now, we know, and we have frequently mentioned this on air, not only ourselves but other speakers have mentioned it, the only form of obedience that God wants is obedience that comes from love. Correct. What you're getting here is, is he's directing her to think, well, if I eat it, I might surely die. I'm not convinced I will, but I might. Yeah. So the motivation for obeying God now is no longer love. Right. It's what's going to happen to me if I do it. Correct. And you know what? That's carried over pretty nicely through to 2024, I think. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people obey the laws of the land because of the consequences if they don't. So <clears throat> sin has twisted all of this. I put in my notes here... <laughs> First John four eighteen. You and I both know it well. Fear, perfect love casts out fear, okay, yep. because fear has to do with judgment. So, moving along quickly, she now comes to a situation where, in verse six, it says, "So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it." I won't read the next verse. She gave some to her husband. He ate it. We, right. know that we know what happened there. The word saw here is mimicking Genesis chapter 1. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What's happening here? She has usurped the prerogative of God in saying, I will be the final arbiter. I will be the final decider as to whether I obey God or okay. whether I choose to eat the yep. fruit. So she's moved from here where she obeys God out of love, she's moved to a point where she distrusts God now, even though at this point she hasn't taken the fruit, 
She's imagining in her mind what it would be like to eat this fruit. I will be like God. And there's just a bit of truth in it because he says, you will know good from evil. God never wanted the human race ever to know what evil was. Right. We try and shield our children from evil. Yep. This is why we have bars on the television. This is why we have bars on what they can watch on social Correct. media and all that type of stuff because we don't want them to know this stuff. Sure. And here she is, she's, she's dabbling in it and thinking to herself, if I take it, this is what will happen. Well, the first thing that happened, as we know, as a result of it was what? They knew they were naked. So were they like God? No. The first thing they felt was cold because up until this point they'd been wrapped in a garment of light. They never had clothes on. Now they're feeling cold. They're shivering. There's a cold that's come over them. Mm -hmm. It's not only a physical cold, it's probably a spiritual cold as well. And the first thing they do is make fig leaves or, or leaves to cover themselves. God comes along in verse 9 and he says to uh, Adam, where are you? <coughs> as if God didn't know where they were. <laughs> what God is, is doing here is he's not saying which bush are you hiding behind, you know, let's yeah. play hide and seek. <laughs> he's, he's basically saying to them, I want you to fess up. Where are you? You've probably used the saying yourself sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you meet a person and you haven't seen them for a while. And the last time you saw them, they were really bubbly, effervescent personality. Yeah. Now you see them, they seem to be withdrawn. They seem to be quiet. They seem to be morose. And you say to yourself, I don't know where he is. It doesn't mean you don't know where he is. You're looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know where he is mentally. God is saying, hey, guys, what have you done? Did you eat of the fruit that I told yeah. you not to eat of? Correct. <laughs> what's, what's their reaction? Well, let's have a look at it quickly. I love it. And he said, who told you that you were naked? This is to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. The blame game starts. Right. <laughs> And it's still going strong in 2024. I think we would all agree on that. Yeah. Then he turns to the woman and says, what is this you have done? He's asking them to fess up and say, yes, Lord, guilty is charged. That We haven't had any of that. She says, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. A talking snake. I could imagine God looking at her and saying, so you were deceived by a talking snake. Right. God knew full well who was using the talking snake as a medium. Yeah. Um, then the Lord talks to the snake. And, of course, he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. I've often wondered, Will, and I don't know whether you have or not, and I wonder whether our listeners who are listening right around Australia to this, why did God not destroy them straight away? I mean, after all, if you said, if you make a statement like, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die, right. what would you assume the yeah, outcome would assume be? That. Wouldn't you expect it to be instantaneous? Yes, yeah, correct. So <clears throat> it doesn't happen. They don't die straight away. Maybe when they ate the fruit, they're thinking, oh, we're going to drop dead now, whatever dead means. For another word, for another thing to think about for our listeners is, what does the word dead mean? Die. You've just been created. As long as you eat the fruit, 
uh, of the tree of life, which is also in the garden, you have conditional immortality. Note what I said, not unconditional immortality. You've got conditional immortality. And so here you are. God didn't destroy them because in verse 15 he said someone would come and crush the serpent's head. We know that's the first prophecy in the Bible. But there's another reason, I believe, that we don't often think about. In chapter 4, what do we find recorded? The world's first murder. Yeah. Cain killing his brother. If God had destroyed them straight away, they would have never known the consequences of sin. Do you realise that? They would have never known a falling tree. They would never have known animals becoming wild. They would never have known offering sacrifices to atone for what they'd done. They would never have known death, but they saw death firsthand when they found the stillborn body of their youngest son. Yeah. And they would have realised full well who committed it. <laughs> so this is another reason, I believe, a valid reason, as to why God didn't destroy them straight away. They had to see the consequences of their sin. One of the things that's happened today in our society, um, I, you've probably seen this, how are we going? Um, you probably realise that sometimes a person who's maybe got a terrible driving record and has caused the death of somebody, they sometimes take them to see the aftermath of what they've done. Right. I believe this is part of what's being being said here. But in 1 Corinthians 15, jumping from there to the New Testament, we find that Jesus did do something about this problem. He came and died on the cross. And as a result of dying on the cross for our sins, what have we got? We have eternal life. Yep. And we also have um, the, the assurance that death will be destroyed. And I'm just going to sort of summarize that fairly quickly. In the book of Corinthians, one of the great chapters of the Bible, Will, I think you know it as well as I, is 1 Corinthians 15. And he says in this, he says, um, basically, death is swallowed up in victory. I like that. I think that's great. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 21, of course, we are told very clearly God speaks from the throne and says, Behold, I make all things new. So this dis disrupted, distorted, <coughs> whatever term you want to use for this planet of ours and the state that's in, it's not always going to be like it. And I think the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that whilst... At the moment, it seems as though it's not going anywhere. God is in control. And we are looking forward to the day when he says, I'll make all things new. And the, we're told in the Bible, and you know it, I know it well, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yeah. And death is what has affected this perfect creation and why it got so ugly. Wow. So I think that's a good place yeah. for us to finish because... We don't have to mope and grope along uh, along this line of thinking because as Christians we know that the Bible says that 
God is going to put an end to sin and suffering and the last enemy to be destroyed that's cast into the lake of fire, we're told metaphorically, is death. Yeah. And I think we can say praise the Lord. We can say praise the Lord. Hey, Pastor Brennan, thank you so much for just unpacking that. It's a very difficult topic to contain in, in just one episode, but we hope that you have enjoyed our presentation today as we're looking at this topic of of evil. If God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't he fix our world? And please stay tuned for the rest of the week as our co-presenters will be unpacking this theme uh, throughout this week. Um, so. We Our time's up for today, so I hope you enjoyed our program today. Please join our host tomorrow as they continue with the theme, If God is All-Powerful and Loving, Why Doesn't He Fix Our World? There'll be free book offers, and um, we hope that you'll be able to tune in. Until then, we want to leave you with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 27. And Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. May God richly bless you and hope to see you next time.